0: This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church, located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church.
1: Our scripture reading for today is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold of frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their country by another route this is god's word
0: this past week as i turned on the radio guess what songs were were playing You probably guessed it, you probably heard it yourself. They were Christmas songs. Yes, before Thanksgiving, which comes on Thursday. But how do you feel when Christmas songs start playing perhaps a bit too early? Maybe you don't like it. I actually happen to enjoy it, so I start singing along. But let's make this a little bit more personal. Heather just read for us a story that spoke about the birth of Christ? But is it too early for a Christmas sermon? Or perhaps we've heard it too often and we've become too familiar with it, where there's no influence on it on our hearts. Friends, God is concerned about our hearts, our attitudes, our worship to him, and God desires that we worship him for who he is and what he's done. So wherever our worship is directed to, it reveals who our, our king is. So Matthew here points us to the true king and why we have reason to worship him and him alone. So we're going to walk through this passage together, and I'm going to pull out three points for, for us to see. The first one we're going to see is what is false worship? The second one we're going to see is what is true worship? And last, we're going to see why Jesus deserves our worship. For each point, we're going to look at a different character or group of characters. For the first point, for false worship, we're going to look at King Herod. For true worship, we're going to look at the wise men. And for the last point, we're gonna look at Jesus. I believe the point that Matthew is trying to get across here is that since Jesus is the king, let us joyfully worship him. Let's see how I came to that conclusion. Let's look at what is false worship. The text starts off indicating the timing of the events. It's in the days of King Herod. Jesus had already been born. Herod is the king. This is Herod the Great. He's known as a ruthless man, killing his own wife. Later on, we see that he tried to kill all the baby boys who were two years old or younger. Ruthless and wicked man. But the wise men here inquire of Jesus. And what is Herod's response? Let's look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why was he troubled? Well, he felt threatened. Herod is the king, but now there's this other king. Anytime there's someone else who's in power or rising to power, there's a sense of of being threatened i am the king there cannot be another one and now herod has to do everything in his power to eliminate the competition so he asked the religious leaders he has like a small bible study where is the christ where was he to be born and they say bethlehem and why is that they're actually quoting the old testament and you could probably see it at the bottom of your Bibles, they're quoting from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. You see that in verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is a prophecy that was written 700 years earlier. And so now that Herod knows, He goes and tells the wise men to go look for him. To do what? What does the text say? Look at verse 8. Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, did Herod really want to worship Jesus? Definitely not. We saw back in verse 3 that he was troubled when he found out that there was another king. And then in verse 16, he sends for all the baby boys to be killed who are two years old or younger. He felt threatened. He had to destroy the competition. He would do anything to remain king, to remain in control, to have power. For Herod, his worship was self-absorbed. He wanted to protect his authority, his power. See, friends, the thing or person that you worship is your true king. The thing or person that you worship is your true God. It's misguided, misdirected worship. Worship, honor, and praise all to the wrong being. So, friends, ask yourself, who is it that I worship? Maybe you're wondering, how can I find that out? How do I know who or what I worship? Here are a few questions that might help to reveal that truth. Who or what is it that is constantly on my mind? What do I think about the most? Is it my career? My family? Is it sports? Is it pleasure? What do I spend most of my money on? Our bank accounts reveal, can reveal, our idols or our gods. What is it that I cannot live without? And then fill in the blank for this one. If I could just have this, I would be happy. The reality is, is like, Herod, we want to be king. Although Herod was a a true king, his heart and humanity's heart, ever since the fall, desires to be in control. We see this in movies, even cartoon movies. You remember in Lion King? You guys probably know that. Simba sings a song, which you guys probably even know the song. The name of the, the, the song was, I Just Can't Wait to Be King. While I won't sing the, the song, I'll spare you that. <laughs> here are some of the lyrics that portray the heart's autonomy or self-dependence. No one say, do this. No one saying, be there. No one saying, stop that. No one saying, see here. Free to run around all day, free to do it all my way. Friends, this is the reality of the heart that is infiltrated by sin. A desire to rule and to be king, but problem is that it leaves us wanting, never satisfied, disappointed. But the scariest thing is self-deception. That is to deceive yourself into thinking that you and God are okay. That you think you're a Christian and you're not. You think you're good because you come to worship most Sundays, you're good at your job, you help your parents, and yet your heart is far away from God. You're concerned about your own name, your own glory, your own fame. And then on the day of judgment, you'll stand before a holy God, and he will say the scariest words ever, depart from me, I never knew you. So I, as an ambassador of Christ, I implore you, I beg you, be reconciled to God. Friends, there's only one true king who all knees will bow down and worship that is the true king, Jesus Christ, who the wise men search for, which leads us to the second point. What is true worship? See, these wise men, or, or magi, that you might know them as, these are astrologers. They're coming from the east, and they come to the city of God, Jerusalem. But let me clarify a few things about them. One, they're not kings. The text says that they're wise men, they're astrologers. We probably assume that they're kings because they brought gold to Jesus, and they were probably able to interpret dreams, which we see later on at the end of the, the passage. Two, although that we say that there are three of them, we actually don't know how many there are. We assume that there's three because there's three gifts, but we actually don't know. And three, these men came much later after the birth of Christ. Christ sometime between several months up to two years after Jesus was born. And how do I know that? Well, the first verse says after Jesus was born. Second, they don't go to a a manger where Jesus was, was born, but they actually go to a house where Mary and Joseph were. And we see that in verse 11. And then the fact that Herod is killing babies who are two years old or younger shows that this was much later on. But these men asked an interesting question in verse two. Let's look at it. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they see a star, Jesus' star. They're traveling from the east and they want to come worship him. These men are Gentiles, they're not Jewish. And they're looking for Jesus to worship him. And after Herod tells them to go, what do they do? Let's look at verse 9 and 10. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy." So they go, they see the star, and literally, the text says, they rejoice with much great joy. They were so excited, so filled with joy that they found the star. So they go into the house, and who they they see? Notice the order here. They see the child. Jesus is prominent. He's first. With Mary, his mother. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Here they are face to face with the creator of the universe. And what do they do? This is really important. Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. And notice, although Mary was right there in the house with Jesus, They worship Jesus, not Mary. They worship God. Worship is a response of who God is. Here we have the wise men displaying that to us physically where they fall down and worship him. Proper response to a mighty king, the true king. And although these men were not Jewish, they were Gentiles. They worshiped the one who was born king of the Jews, who's king of all. They didn't worship a, a mere man, Herod, right? When they saw Herod, they didn't worship him. They worshiped Jesus because they knew who he was. See, only God is to be worshiped. So, saints, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. So, the Bible says, God is concerned about our hearts before Him, and, and He wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and Him alone. And although Jesus was a child in this passage, He was and is the true God. So if you pro- profess the name of Christ, is He the one that you worship? Is He the one that you adore? Is He the one that you treasure? Is He the one that you love? Are you captivated by him, in awe of him? Do you rejoice in him? But if you aren't a Christian, maybe you're wondering, what is this guy even talking about? Why does this all matter? Why does Jesus deserve my worship? Well, that leads us to the final point, why Jesus deserves our worship. As I said earlier, I believe Matthew is trying to get across this point, that since Jesus is the king, Let us joyfully worship him. I'm assuming a truth here that Jesus actually is king. How do I know that? Let's look at descriptions of him throughout the passage. Throughout the passage, we see words like king, ruler, worship that are so evident that Matthew is trying to get your attention. So when you read your Bible... Look for repeated words or phrases in the text because the author is trying to show you or trying to highlight certain things. In verse 2, Jesus is called king of the Jews. In the same verse, the wise men say they have come to worship him. The quote from Micah 5, 2 is fascinating because it says a ruler would come from Judah. When the wise men saw Jesus, they fell down and worshipped him. And they even offered him their gifts or treasures. But this is a different king, one unlike Herod or any other king before him or after him. This king came for a purpose. We see this back in chapter 1 of Matthew, Matthew one twenty-one, It says this, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, the biggest problem that humanity faces is that we are sinners And God is holy and just and good and righteous and perfect. See, God demands perfection, and we all fall short of his glory. And there's absolutely nothing that any one of us can do to earn God's love. See, this makes Christianity so unique and so different, hence why Christianity does not and cannot Coexist with other religions. Other religions say, do good deeds and you can get to God, or you can reach nirvana, or, or perfection, or bliss. Christianity says you can't. And on top of that, the punishment of your sin is death. But this is the beauty of the gospel of Christianity that the king who reigned in heaven came down in flesh. God became man, lived among sinful people. Not once did he seek his own fame or his own success. He didn't elevate himself above other people, never proud. In fact, when people try to force Jesus to become king, he withdrew from them. When the devil tempted him with power and the kingdoms of all the earth, Jesus fought back with the scriptures. He denied and rejected those things because Jesus came to serve. See, he looked out for the interests of others. He washed his disciples' feet. He healed people. He healed the blind, the sick, the lame. He raised the dead. He was gentle and kind to sinners. He fed hungry crowds. See, this is a king who humbly traded his crown in heaven for a crown of thorns. A king who humbly traded his heavenly throne for being nailed to a cross between two wicked criminals. This is a king who was rejected by his own people, by his own followers, by his own family members although he did nothing wrong he willingly went to the cross to lay down his life where his own where his own father would pour out his wrath on his son where his own father would crush his son where christ would take all the punishment you see that it's on the cross that Jesus takes all of our selfish desires, all of our, 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 our selfish thoughts, all of our arrogant looks, all of our boastful or careless words, he takes it all on the cross, dying in our place as a substitute, a king who John later on tells us was also buried with myrrh which is the same gift that was given to him as a child, now using to anoint his body during death. This is the king who takes all this upon himself and gives you his righteousness for those who believe. But it doesn't stop there. He rises from the dead, conquers death conquers the grave and reigns victoriously. Friends, this is the true king. See, as verse 6 points out, this is the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, who compassionately cares for his children. No one else deserves our worship. Not any sports player, sports team, not your spouse, not your potential mate, not your children, not any politician or political party, not your pastors, not yourself. Only Christ the King deserves all of our worship. So how can you joyfully worship him? Well, you first have to know him. You can't worship the king if you don't have a relationship with him. The Bible says you have to repent of your sin. You have to trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. There's no other way. And if you feel like you're too wicked, you're too sinful, or too messed up, that's grace. Come to Jesus. And if you're a Christian, remember that worship is a response to who God is. So we worship God, we worship Jesus through singing, but we also worship him through praying, through giving, through giving through our actions, through our thoughts, through our words. So if Jesus is your king, you represent him. At your home, at your workplace, your school, when with your relatives, when hanging out with your friends. So kids, start at a young age, growing in your understanding of who God is. And if you can't read, that's okay. Have your parents read the scriptures to you. Parents, as long as your children are in your home, make that a priority, that you would read the word of God with them, that they would hear it, that it would sink in. You see, the way that you could joy- joyfully worship Jesus is by having an understanding of, and growing in your understanding of who he is. So give yourself to the preaching of God's word every Sunday in the corporate gathering of the local church. Whether you're a college student, older couple, single, married, Whoever you are, God uses his word to feed his people. And when we sing, I I love it that we sing. It's more than okay to sing loud, even if you can't sing well. Sing. Sing and be thankful because of what Christ has done for you. Friends, we need each other. We're the family of God. So remind yourself and let's remind one another of truths that come from God's word. So when you're going through a difficult time, you tell yourself that God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for me. When you're proud and you're exalting yourself, remind yourself that Jesus was humble, and Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when you're feeling lonely, remind yourself that he will never leave me nor forsake me. And when you're feeling overly guilty for your sin, you keep beating yourself down, remind yourself that God does not deal with me according to my sins, nor does he repay me according to my iniquities. That is tremendous grace. See, next week we partake in the Lord's Supper, a joyous meal, a joyous occasion. It reminds us of what Jesus did. But not only that, but the Apostle Paul tells us something really interesting. He says that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim together as a church. We proclaim together the Lord's death the last three word three words until he comes. See, the first advent or coming of Jesus points us to and reminds us of his second advent or his second coming. Jesus is coming back one day. Hebrews 9 28 says this. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Even in our statement of faith, this is what we believe as a church, it says that the return of Christ is the blessed hope for the believer. That's from Titus, the blessed hope This is what the Christian looks forward to. In the midst of all our suffering, all of our pain, all all of all of our sorrow, the Christian looks forward to the day that the true king will return for his people. So do you look forward to that day? Do you think about that day? Do you think about being with Jesus in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth, do you look forward to that time when he will come back for us? He's going to come back for us, for those who know him. And all who love Jesus, all who know him, all who treasure him, all who adore him, all who are obsessed and captivated with Jesus, we will be taken up together with all the saints from all around the world And guess what? We're gonna stand before the throne of God, the throne of the Lamb, the throne of the King, with saints from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language, And we will all be clothed in white robes, symbolizing our sins being washed away by the blood of the Lamb, standing in the righteousness of Christ, not on any merits that we have done, and we will be worshiping Jesus forever and ever and ever. Let us pray. Oh, Father... You are so amazing and good. Your word is so powerful, Lord, and I pray that your word would bear much fruit in my heart, in these dear people's hearts, Lord. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Christ, the true King. And Lord, I pray that uh, the saints here, those who don't even know Jesus, that they would come to know him and love him, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you are good and that your love endures forever. We praise you for who you are and what you have done. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our older brother, our savior, our redeemer, and king. Amen.